Yes, welcome to Geek of the Week. My name is Bo, and my best bud over here, his name is Mike. Say hey, Mike. Hi, Mike. There you go. We're going to be covering a lot of geeky uh, topics in this podcast, because that's what we do. We're geeking out, and this is our podcast. Are you freak of the Superman was amazing. It was amazing. It was Superman device. was am- it was divisive. <laughs> no, no, that's Man of Steel's. Uh, uh, no, it's fair, fair. Superman was amazing. Superman was amazing. Um, Man of Steel, divisive. But these are the things that a lot of us talk about, and we will have a lot of reasons to talk about them. Because, for example, you say Superman, people think Man of Steel. You say Man of Steel, people think Superman, and hilarity ensues. Now, my, Mike and I had some discussions about this earlier. We thought it was only fair to share some of our thoughts and feelings on it. And we, of course, want you to know and have your own feels about it, too. So without, I have many feels. I have so many feels. <laughs> so without further ado, we will now... Just get started, man. Come on, let's go. <laughs> You're massaging really? it. I'm ready. I'm, like, grabbing at the edge of my seat. Like, dude, Superman. You- 1978, what up? <laughs> okay, so uh, superhero movies have been a thing going on for a long time. And uh-huh. they precede the 1980s, but we're not going to go that far back at all. Uh, we're pretty much going to start at Superman, Richard Donner Superman specifically, from 1978. The tagline, believe a man can fly. That's right. That was amazing. It was. And you know what? Kids everywhere start wrapping red blankets around their necks and raising statistics. But <laughs> it was it was amazing. Yes, it so, was. Yes, I mean, yeah. Was it a perfect movie? No. Was it a good movie? Yes. Was it a fun movie? Definitely. And that's where comic book movies kind of kicked off, right? Pretty much. Like really kicked off, like uh, about 1978, because that's DC's big uh, sort of. Big push into the foray of movies. It grossed over $300 million. Um, it was a big to-do. Everybody was talking about it. And it sort of sets Warner Brothers on this path of, of no return for comic book movies. For many we could pretty ago. much call that the, the golden age of comic book movies? Yeah, I, I you know what? I'll call it uh, the golden age of comic movies. And... Once that happens, Marvel follows up Superman in 1979 with Captain America. It was yeah. a television film, not quite a movie, but still a movie. Was it a television film? Yes, it was. Wow. And that was, was that the one with CBS. the guy in the helmet, or was that the guy with the uh, with the Italian red skull? Oh goodness! So that was, was the, the guy, guy in the, the helmet. The helmet with the motorcycle. The helmet with the motorcycle. Oh, my God. Okay, so that wasn't the notorious car thief Captain America with the rubber ears, right? Correct. Yeah, because it was one thing Captain America knew how to do is he knew how to steal cars. And he revisited that in Winter Soldier. That was actually Captain America 2, Death Too Soon. Good old rubber ears cap. Now, 
They made a sequel? That was a sequel? That was a sequel. It was a television film sequel. Sequel to 79's Captain America. Now, once this happens, uh, in 1980 we get uh, Superman 2 from DC Comics. Uh, We get Swamp Thing by Wes Craven. Superman 3. uh, And then in 84, Supergirl. And we have talked about Supergirl before. That was actually our our first uh, podcast. So I'm not going to double back on that too far. I will say this. Supergirl. Hmm. Some may think that she was wrongly labeled a girl, but then when you hear her talk, some may think she was rightly labeled a girl. Now, uh, the interesting... Horrible. (laughs) The interesting parts about the early 80s and late 70s for movies is this is the first sort of major forays. Uh, into comic book movies as we know them today. Untested waters. You know what? And and the biggest foray comes at what I think was a lot of people will say that they like it, but not for the reasons that you like a movie. Um, Superman 4, A Quest for Peace. Nuclear Man! And as he goes after Superman in that movie, well, I won't say sucked, but yeah, it sucked. It sucked. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, so it, it, it kind of sucked. Um, All right, I love Gene Hackman. He's amazing, but wow, who destroy Superman? I mean, how many times are you gonna hear that? I mean, and and that was basically, I think that was the key point where right after that, that's where all comic book movies went because uh, Superman four. Um, as compared to Superman the Donner movie, the first one, um, they Superman 4 were recutting the flight scenes. Like every shot of Superman flying towards the camera was the same shot with just different backgrounds. Um, they were just blue screening everything. They were just really lazy about film cuts and takes. Uh, they shortcut everything they could. They just wanted to get this out, get some quick cash, and call it a day. They were really... Uh, how, how was I say UAing this one? <laughs> just, just throwing it out there and see what they can do. Yeah, I mean, pretty much Men of Steel, just like in the comics, becomes one of the most prolific, iconic first heroes to step onto a medium. And his numbers sort of tell it all. Uh, the first Superman movie, uh, once he sort of uh, hits the screen, does about $300 million. Every successive Superman movie tapers off. Superman 2 does just over 100 million. Uh, Superman uh, 3 does 70 million. So you can see like a steady decline. Um, It could be because of content. It could be because uh, the viewership isn't dazzled by Superman anymore. Um, It could be because they they got rid of the director in the last second for the second one. And you kind of feel the entire cinematic feel of it kind of taper off when it gets towards the end as it just becomes a weird in Fortress of Solitude House chess game. Now, granted, um, the, the the Donner cut of Superman 2 was just Superman flying around the planet again. But that's before it hit the editing floor. They just kind of put whatever his cuts were in and stuff like that, and, and, and that's what you ended up with. So whether that was actually what he was going to release or whether it could have ended up different, I can only speculate. But what I was trying to say is that 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 Superman four kind of started the foray of where in the eighties um, comic book movies immediately emerged as they just came as quick 
cheeky cash grabs that were kind of just like winking at you. We're silly. We're in capes and we're in costumes. Don't take us seriously. We're garbage. Yeah, I mean, for your uh, kids to ingest and move on. It, it was it was definitely a lot more fun and lighthearted and enjoyable. Um, everyone can say what they want about the original Donner Superman. I liked it. I loved it a lot. Uh, Christopher Reeves did an amazing job, sort of embracing uh, an iconic character like Superman. I really believed he was Superman, who was Clark Kent. Um, Granted, our age when these movies came out, we're, we're pretty really young. young. I'm, I'm approaching 40, so are you, right? Mm-hmm. Somewhere, sometime. <laughs> and, you know, we, we grew up on this stuff. And we also, in particular, grew up on, on the 80s um, movies, definitely. Speaking and of 80s, what happened towards the late 80s? Like, what came? anything came out comic book movie-wise, like 87, well, 88? Interestingly enough, 86 is Marvel's first quote-unquote official comic book movie, Howard the Duck. Oh, Jesus. Go figure. Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) The movie Lucas can never let die. He will never live it down. It will be his forever. All right, I will say this about Howard the Duck, and then we're going to leave Howard the Duck, and we're going to go straight to 1989. Okay, all right. Are we talking about duck tits? No, no, no. It's not just duck tits. No. It, oh, my God. You said duck tits. That just gives me horrible, cringeworthy. Okay, if anyone's inter- seen the trailer for this. Interspecies romance? Stop it. Look, you watch this movie, and you're like, <laughs> oh, oh, it's for kids because it's silly duck action, and it's silly uh, pratfalls, and it's fun, and it's funny. Then you see duck tits and interspecies, and you're like, it's for a Adults, because it has duck tits and interspecies like tones, and then they keep going. Then they keep going back and forth, and like, who was this movie made for? This movie was a travesty in cinematography, and uh, not to overdo it, it was just horrible. Okay, it was just horrible. It, It was bad. Do yeah. I still enjoy it on a day when I want to see something bad? Yeah, it's Howard the Duck Quack. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I got that song in my head too. But I just wanted people to appreciate and understand that Howard the Duck is falls in this category because he is a legitimate comic book character who made a transition to the big screen. Yeah, thank you, George Lucas. Thank you, thank you Mr. Lucas. If only oh. people paid attention to that when they were going to the prequels. Now, um, 1989 is huge. Uh, uh, apart, <laughs> apart from the song of the same name, 1989, um, Tim Burton makes a huge splash with the Batman. They gross over $400 million. And DC sort of retakes the mantle for comic book movies with the first Batman movie. I love Batman. I'm, I've, I've never. <laughs> everybody who knows me knows I'm a huge Batman fan. I owe a lot of it to this first Batman movie. Michael Keaton did not get nearly enough credit for doing Batman. You ever dance with the devil at the pale moonlight? And Mr. Nicholson for doing it's something the I ask of all my prey. I just like the sound of it. <laughs> exactly. 
two really huge, very famous, iconic actors jumping into a superhero movie. That and they owned it. And they, they owned went it. in there and they said, okay, we understand that all these things are supposed to be silly and goofy. You film it the way you want. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to own this role. Keaton did it so straight face. So like, yeah, I'm Batman. Yeah, I'm going to be Batman. I'm going to have all the feels that Batman should have. It had Jack Palance. Jack, you're my number one. one. You guy, guy in the world. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. Okay. Needless to say, we both like Batman 1989's Batman, and it, it it was great. I mean, did it did it really capture the full hundred percent Batman from the comics? No. Was it a perfect movie? No. Was it fun? Yes. Was it good? Yes. Was it entertaining? Yes. Did it do well? Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes it did well. What were the numbers on that? <clears throat> Over 400 million. Not bad. Now, quickly following DC's Batman, same year, we get Marvel's The Punisher. <clears throat> this that is a direct-to-video Punisher. Yeah, that didn't get the uh, um, theater release. It did not get a theater release. I mean, we're body armor. And this sort of shows a trend for Marvel at this point, because even in the late 80s, they're not putting out a lot of huge uh, cinematic productions. A lot of them are TV movies, video, direct-to-video. DC seems to take the lead on putting out But here's the thing. But what was happening at the same time with Warner Brothers? At the same time in the 80s, Marvel, I think, was just, had by 1989, Marvel had just separated from Sunbow um, Studios with their animation department because Marvel was making a series of cartoons ruling the 80s alongside Sunbow Entertainment. From they they worked on making uh, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, RoboCop, Dino Riders. Um, they were even part of uh, the entire Transformers and G.I. Joe run of things and Bionic 6. People forget these things. So Marvel was still making things. They just weren't making it in the theater. Exactly. Now, <laughs> say what you want. Uh, Marvel, in the late 80s to the early 90s, as well as DC Comics, was starting to get to a point. In their comics, uh, primarily their comics product, because everybody knows who has bothered to collect comics uh, during the 90s that they both oversaturated the living hell out of the market. There were 30 variants, 30 covers, five of this issue, 20 of that. All the chromium, like, and a lot of people tricked the market because people were buying these first issues on the belief that they would become valuable comics, forgetting the fact that, because I, I know what you're talking about, because what was the, forgetting the fact that uh, one of the major reasons that comics became valuable was people would throw them the hell out. You know, they would read them, the kids would read them and gather them, and their parents would get rid of them. And so the amount of old pre-60s, pre-70s comics, pre-50s comics even, that existed were rare, far and few in between, because they would throw these 
these these these these books out because they were just a mess. They were a bunch of you know like you got your kid collecting large amounts of newsprint paper just to gather bugs to start chewing on them. So they got rid of them. So being able to find one of these old vintage issues was a valuable thing. But the and the nineties fed off of that, fed off the trend of uh, people making money off of old collectible books. And so a large amount of your present free comic book bins in comic book stores today still have comics comics. from the 90s especially ghost rider bo oh ghost rider how many cheap shot at you man how many different ways do i have to feel bad for that just in case you didn't know our friend bo here is a big fan of ghost rider ghost rider's his boy and ghost rider suffered in the 90s my God, he suffered. He suffered in the 90s comic run current and 90s comic run future because 2099 didn't do any better either, dude. No, it really didn't. Uh, so he was done for the past, present, and future to come. Where's Ghost Rider now? Who knows? Who cares? Why bother? Move uh, on. Next well, one. We will come <laughs> back to the, the, the suffering that is Ghost Rider. Because um, he cinematically does, too. <laughs> Now, of course, you get Batman Returns back in 92. Um, there's a bunch of Turtles movies in between. Uh, the Rocketeer. Yeah, first Turtles movies was kind of cool. Second Turtles movie was like, hey, let's not use our weapons anymore, which was a weird twist, and you wonder why the value of the movie dropped off. But you know what was also happening in comics, though, Bo, in the 90s? While comics were getting a bubble that bursts, um... Image Comics actually helped boost the market and help keep it selling with their very, very, like, art-driven comics. I mean, they were not driving it home with stories and plots. These were all, like, whatever military group of superpowered people we can get together in some clandestine organization that was putting them out for whatever reason to stop whatever alien to stop whatever government. You, you, you mean 90s cyber cool force war... Wild, extraordinary, wild group. The word you're looking for is extreme. extreme. Yes, extreme. But you know what? Say what you will about those 90s comics. They kept the market alive, Bo. They did. They also helped almost kill it. Yes, they did. It wasn't just Marvel and DC. Actually, I won't even say they helped kill it. It was strictly the major companies that helped kill it because they were the ones saturating the market with all these number one issues that amounted to nothing. Meanwhile, the the image ones actually continued their runs, whatever they came out with, with the exception of a few because the artist-driven material would falter because there was artists that couldn't operate without somebody up there but making them operate to to an extent but you also got to understand consider this there are only so many comic fans that will be able to spend so much money on a comic book Mm -hmm. during the 90s this was still the prices were inflating and these variant covers were getting expensive prices were inflating everybody was scrambling for the same group of viewership 
you tack on Valiant, you tack on Image, you tack on a ton of indie guys on top of Marvel and DC oversaturating right, so then, the market. So then I posit this, Bo. I posit this. Here's another good thing that came out of the 90s because of that comic run. Because of that, the, that 90s comic run, that's what gave vast popularity to the comic book known as X, Uncanny X-Men, which gave rise to it having a cartoon, which spread their fan base beyond just the pages of the comics. Which gave them room to make a movie, and we will get to the the painful uh, X movie very shortly. Now, oh, painful! Come on, oh. it wasn't painful. <laughs> Hold on, don't make me laugh too much. <laughs> um, early to mid nineties has a lot of uh, a lot of cool different, as Mike said, uh, other. Uh, movie franchises like The Crow, The Shadow, The Mask, Giver, um, Dark Man, Tank Girl, um, Meteor Man. Uh, oh. I had to throw that one in there. That, that, that was for Ghost Rider. Uh, Judge Dredd, uh, oh. The Phantom sequels, Spawn. Never forget Spawn. What are you talking? Spawn? Okay, say what you will about the movie. No, it wasn't perfect, but Michael Jai White was. All right. Do I will really go on think record. Michael Jai White would do that over again if he had the choice. I don't care. Yeah, sure. Let's do it over again. Michael Jai White is amazing. All right. He is. And don't you ever, ever say otherwise. He is I, blood and bone. He is black dynamite. He is chocolate lim- He Man. You understand that? He has been limping Spawn off since he did it. Uh, yeah, no, no. He walked it off like a man. Said, "I'm gonna do Mortal Kombat. I'm gonna do Metal Hurlant. I'm gonna do whatever it is that needs to be done, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a badass while doing it." I am Michael Jai White, and that's how I roll. Did anybody really realize it was Michael Jai White? I did. Okay. I did. Because he spent an awful so lot assuming of time I'm under not prosthetics. Unique. Huh? He spent a lot of time under prosthetics. Well, the thing was, is um, Spawn's human identity was Michael Jai White also, so. I will give Spawn credit for doing one thing really well, and that is laying the groundwork for Blade. Now, Blade is one of those movies in 1998 that pretty much does what no other movie before it has done, and that is... Not have a sequel for four years? Yes, partially. <laughs> Not having a sequel for it, but also sort of opened the door to a much wo- uh, broader, wider audience than any of the previous superhero movies before it. Blade does so well on its in its initial outing for Marvel, in particular, that it's followed by X-Men, Blade 2, X-Men United, Daredevil, The Punisher, the remake, Spider-Man 2, Elektra, and more. Like, literally, you know what? I'm going to rewind your bit for for Marvel. Yes, Blade did open the door open for Marvel, and Blade was great. But here's the difference: it was filmed as an action movie, just like all of these movies were filmed as an action movie, with some trappings of comic book movie action. But you skipped a movie in particular that came out in, I think, uh, 2002 that came out right after Blade, but at the, in the same year as Blade 2. Uh, 
Yes, I did. That I, really, that really opened the bar and changed the entire field well, on comic be, book movies. Be, and that's my boy on, right there. Before, before you get into it, though, I did that on purpose. And the reason why, Mike, is because without Blade and Blade 2, they may not have taken the chance for your boy. Because we yeah, both my know boy, for years they were trying to do that movie, but they couldn't. I know. I was waiting for it for all those years. Me and, and and my mom were waiting for that movie. She was a big fan of him. Okay, just 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 stop. I'm gonna stop playing the pronoun game. It was Spider Man. Sam Raimi's Spider Man was a great release. And let me tell you why. What made it different from the other ones? And a lot of people will miss it. And they were like, Andrew Garfield was great. Yeah. And you know what? Opinions aside, yeah, it was good too. Sure. Why not? But. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man was the first movie that shot spy- that shot a movie and put the actual put the actual superhero there in all his red and blue spandex ridiculous glory. Said, I'm going to do his origin. I'm not going to make any alterations. He's not going to be in black. I'm not going to have him in weird leather. He's not going to be overly cool. It's going to be this awkward geek in a red and blue spandex outfit swinging all over the city lightheartedly full color fun and on top of that the entire thing of the entire the entire movie was filmed differently the method of filming this is what i said that it was filmed that blade was still filmed like an action movie the angles and the off angles that spider-man are filmed you can take every scene of spider-man and put it as a comic book panel and it would still work it's a different method of filming altogether that was put into Spider-Man, uh, Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man movie. And you see it reflected and and done over and over again. It changed the entire method of how movies are filmed. Every movie that was a successful comic book movie after that, a successful one after that, started changing their method of filming. And it was like pa- every movie was panel for panel, a comic book, basically. Every screenshot was a comic book. The way they did their layouts, it's like it's like the storyboard artist said, oh, we're 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 not doing just storyboards, we're doing comic books, and we gotta do this differently. And the cameraman would say, we're gonna do this differently and and you know what credit where credit's due and I give that to Sam Raimi that's what he brought to the table he heralded in the golden age of comic book movies because he changed more than just the way it looks people don't realize how much how different the method of filming these comic book movies are compared to how it felt and that's what I'll say is different compared to X-Men because X-Men did not bring it in. X-Men still was filmed like an action movie. Well, okay. Hold on, though. You know, like, that's... Uh, In uh, case anyone's wondering what their difference is, like, I'm not saying the X-Men movies were bad. I'm saying, but in case you feel like there's a difference between it and the Spider-Man movies is the way it's filmed, the angles and shots, and... um, Well, I I, I can definitely lay lay to that, and here's the thing. One, the other thing Spider-Man did was break all previous box office records for a comic movie. It did over $800 million. On you keep correlating. Own. You keep correlating. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm doing it purposely so because I need people to understand that even Superman and Batman weren't able to attain that. So that Well, prices you, went up, though. Well. Yeah, to an extent. But, I mean, even when you adjust for inflation, Spider-Man it was did still better, yeah. phenomenally well. Spider-Man really does blow open the doors. And to your point, 
after Spider-Man, if you look at the first X-Men movie, yes, it was filmed uh, sort of action-y. Then comes Spider-Man, X-Men 2, less action-y. So but it's still filmed like an action movie. It was filmed like an action movie until X-Men 3. The real differences you see in the way the, the filming methods of X-Men came for the later movies. Even when Singer came back to the series, he started filming it like it was a comic book. He filmed his method. His method of filming became different. It didn't feel like an action movie. These guys were alive and moving, you know? Now... Once, once you accept that Spider-Man sort of becomes the new benchmark for comic book movies uh, from that point in time, it really does color the rest of the genre for some time to come. Yes, it does. But you, but you still correlated success and quality of the movie with its box office well, prices. Well, no, I did. Are we going to forget the fact that the third Spider movie was the highest-grossing Spider-Man movie to date? But that's relevant too, because when you consider. Spider-Man starts at the benchmark of 400 million or so, more so than everybody else. It continues to climb after that. Whereas every other comic movie that w uh, was able to pull off a trilogy steadily declined. So now is that because everybody loves Spider-Man or because Spider-Man is just done better? Uh. See, it's, mm, it's not so easy. It's a tough one to call. I think it might be some column A and some column B on that one. I think Sam Raimi loved doing Spider-Man, and it showed. Oh, fast forward, like, past all the current and existing movies that had come out, because then they went into trying to do this, well, not even trying, succeeding in so far doing this cinematic run of Universal movies. I don't know how that's going to look, Twenty, like, uh, uh 10 more years down the line, it might be a little convoluted. Um, but DC went a different route with their movies. They completely changed their method after Green Lantern's foray out there. They went for more... Well, once you hit 2005, you have you, you realize that there's the reboot, the, the first of many reboots for Batman. Batman Begins. Oh, beautiful. All right, and they. Batman do, Begins was the best Batman. It was one of the best Batman, for me at least. And at that point, it's coming after a lot of the movies we already talked about, many of the Spider-Man sequels, the Blade sequels, um, and DC's like, well, you know what? We have Batman, and they they come in there swinging, they reboot it, and it does phenomenal. All right, they follow that up with. Uh, v for Vendetta, and Superman Returns, which also hmm. bang it out the park. Superman Returns and Batman Begins is sort of DC going back to basics and saying, we know these work, we're going to bang it out, we're going to re-envision, re-imagine, redo, and remind people why they like our comic book characters and our comic movies. And they do of an course. amazing job. Superman Returns didn't get the critical success you that they were hoping for. It did not. No, it, it, and many would say, like there was a lot of people that say it was because he didn't punch anything, but it had to do with the slow pacing and it was kind of dragging and the, 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 the overdramatic nature of it, the murdery kid, you know, the stalky <laughs> suit man. Pian piano the, child, yes. The weird love triangle between Lois, her husband... 
And Superman? Yeah, okay. Creepy. You know, the whole Lex Luthor shiving Superman. But see, okay. Look, we, we, we can both, without going too deep on soups, we can both acknowledge that by this point... It's not soups, a perfect movie. It's not a perfect movie, and in, in general... They're looking for a way to reinvent Superman, even if he doesn't necessarily need it. And the same thing with Batman. Why? Yeah, but then they do, and then we get Man, Man of Steel. Yes. Which is a very divisive movie. But we are we are getting ahead of ourselves because at that point, once Superman Returns happens and it's not as successful as they wanted it to be, um, we creep into about 07 where we get Ghost Rider... Oh, come on, do we have to pause for Ghost Rider? And Fantastic Four Rise of Silver Surfer. It, it's, 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 it literally is in my book how you do not do a comic movie. And is up there in my top ten list of this is really bad comic moviedom. Look, all due respect where it's deserved. Uh, a lot of people worked really hard on that and tried to do what they did. But the movie was bad. Which one? Ghost Rider. Oh, come on. Ghost Rider was terrible, okay? You sure? Yeah, I'm sure. I put it right up there with Ang Lee's Hulk. It was bad, dude. You sure? Stop trolling me. (laughs) Ghost Rider was amazing. It was the best movie ever. Spider-Man 3 goes out on a huge bang with almost 900 million, disproving a lot of theories, proving its supremacy, Saying we are we are awesome, despite a lot of people's feelings on how it ended, and Raimi's personal feelings on how that went down. Well, even Raimi admits it wasn't a perfect movie, and you know Raimi is not a perfect director, but I'm a big fan of Raimi, and I think he did a lot of good things with that movie, and it wasn't a perfect movie, and it had a lot of its problems, and many people were like the studio this, Raimi that, blah 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 blah. We can go on forever, but the movie was by far and large not even divisively thought of but you you you, you almost you man, unanimously thought of as pretty bad but again the reason i'm bringing this up is literally this is one year where marvel stands out by itself for three marvel movies back to back in the same year and they all do very different from each other so it tells you something there mike Spider-Man 3, huge. Ghost Rider, not so good. Fantastic Four and Silver, Rise of Silver Surfer, tepid. All right, so Ghost Rider, horrible out of all of those movies you just named. Rise of Silver Surfer, eh, I can watch it for an entertaining fun and turn it off before the end and or just skip to the Silver Surfer like saying something scenes because he sounded cool. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so the Rise of the Observer wasn't good either, but uh, it- now, But Mike, when you look at the year 2007 for Marvel, it was a mixed bag. And that made it interesting because following 2007, we come into Marvel's purposeful re-envisioning, rebranding, and new push for its cinematic universe. Because this is where we get Iron Man. The start of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay, go on. It's huge when you consider the mixed bag that Marvel had gotten ultimately with the previous year of 
Silver Surfer, which they didn't own, Ghost Rider, which they didn't own, and Spider-Man 3, which they didn't own. So, me... Okay, I will say this. Marvel Studios is made with the single purpose of making comic book movies. Every other movie studio is with the purpose of making movies. So it goes in the best interest of Marvel Studios to push the limits as far as they can, to stretch as much as they can get out of these things and do their best. That is one big major difference. Marvel Studios has to do well or there's no purpose for them because all they make is Marvel brand movies. But this is a big step for Marvel because when you consider how much movie those how much money those previous movies made, that was Columbia and Columbia Pictures and 20th Century Fox raking in cash on that. They had no rights to any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So Marvel had to come out huge. Marvel Marvel Cinematic had to come out huge, brand themselves, and go forward from that. Yeah, because they it took was, a big risk. It was a huge and they succeeded. risk. They succeeded. And then the mouse came into the house. The mouse is in the house. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, they they wanted some some Marvel action, and they did. And the next following group of movies were amazing, up and down. You know, not perfect, but amazing. They were good. They were well done. They 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 continued to be filmed as comic book movies. But you know, where's my DC man? Where's uh, Superman? Where's Superman? Superman's laying low. Superman's still licking his wounds. In swoops the Dark Knight. Christopher Nolan bashing all previous box offers. But also changing the entire mood for what is a successful comic book movie. Fast forwarding ahead, because, you know, not to drag us on, to fast forwarding ahead. Um, we, dude, let's just get to the teeth of the matter. Man of Steel. Yes, Man of Steel. Arguably of one Steel. of the most divisive superhero movies in existence. Yes, and with good reason, because, like, Man of Steel was an experience for me, okay? It was. It was a trauma. I witnessed a child cry in the theater in the climactic ending. Now, I don't, I mean, are these movies still made for kids? Like, granted, maybe I'm a man-child watching movies, but Man of Steel says, no, I'm not. Because a child's watching Man of Steel and wondering why all the people are dying. All right? Why Superman looks scary. But it's Kids realism. Scary. It's realism. Is it? It felt kind of cynical, considering the man can bench press mountains. It felt kind of cynical, considering the man is supposed to be more intelligent and process information faster than that. Yeah, it was kind of grimdark. It will always be grimdark. And it looks like DC's going to continue going forward with the grimdark. Because that and Nolan uh, with Batman series looks... It very much has the feel from the trailers I've seen for Rise of Justice to be a dark series. But you know what? Okay, there was one guy on the internet that I'm going to quote with saying this. Does... does I think it was... um. Oh my God! He's on. He was on Agents of Shield. He played uh, the the agent with all the brothers. Okay, uh, I know what you're talking about. 
Patton Oswalt. Uh, yes. He was quoted as saying, and I and I, I may be paraphrasing it, it made it clear. Superman uh, Superman doesn't brood. Batman broods. Everybody, Aquaman doesn't brood. Wonder Woman doesn't brood. Batman broods. Batman's grim dark. Batman's not even grim dark. He's just grim. He's just grim and gritty. You know, Batman's the dark knight. He's supposed to be dark. All these other guys, they don't need to brood. If everybody broods, what's the point of Batman brooding? Isn't it part of what makes Batman cool? Batman's the grim, dark guy who does grim, dark things, or he's dark, and he has that dark experience, and he's well, on the streets, that, and he gets in the Mike, thick of things. But that's because... Superman can fly. He's invulnerable. He moves at super speeds. He has every kind of vision known to man. Friggin', he can breathe and fart and kill you at the same time. What is he complaining about? I mean, like, really? What? Yes, yes. This, this brings us back to our previous discussion about Man of Steel. And remember when I asked you about the saturation? Like, how yeah, different you said, does that um, movie feel when you lighten the saturation? Like and it the, feels hopeful. Like someone online, they they added color to the Man of Steel trailer, and it kind of made it feel entirely different. They Because they, the movie is heavily saturated. Like, the colors just vampired out of it. And, you know, it makes it depressing. And it, it was really weird does. watching Superman and his two Robin Hood dads, you know, come come into this movie and deliver super angry, crying Jesus, Nick Bricky guy who devastates a city for a fight. The city. But let's leave the Messiah out of this. You know how I feel about it. You know how I feel about the S on his chest. With the two uh, brackets, like they never it. got to, they never even really got to call him like, really call him Superman. I know some guy said it, and that was that. Well, we're gonna get He's more super- of it. Don't worry, it's coming. <laughs> <sighs> that said, uh, as an aside, we have the dark, the hopeful. Like Marvel feels hopeful, DC's feels kind of grim. Um, Here's my question. Where's all the ladies in the movies? Where, where where are the ladies at? Wow, okay. Yeah, well, we got Black Widow. We have Black Widow in a team film, but she's not getting her solo. We She, she, she was in Iron Man 2. Yeah, no, still not good enough. What um, about Maria Hill? She was there. Scarlet Witch? No, no. <laughs> No. <laughs> okay, no. yeah, yeah. All right, you're no, right. You're no, right. No. Where are the where are our ladies? No, no, where are the no, ladies no. representing? It's all wrong. Where are where are, where are people? At least we're getting some people of color. I mean, but they're not getting their own movies. But there is there is down the pipeline a Wonder Woman movie, a Captain Marvel movie, uh, Carol Danvers Captain Marvel, uh, a Black Panther movie, um, and a Cyborg movie. Yep. Yeah, so they're gonna represent. They just we're gonna get a come out within the first eleven movies. Looking Aquaman. Yes. So I mean, it's gonna be there. I just I don't know. I'm just gonna wait. I have to wait. I I want. I was so hoping that if Jason Momoa was gonna play a Waterman, it would have been Submariner. Yeah, it would have been cool. You and me both agree on that one. But can't he do both? Mm, not until the the dust clears on one of those. It would add more to the confusion of Submariner. Isn't he all the same Atlantean guy? 
Mm-hmm. Isn't he naturally confusing? <laughs> now, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he both? Now, aside from this, from the hopefulness of the upcoming movies, which you know is cool. I got Ant Man coming this year. Fantastic Four. Who knows? I have no feels on that. Uh, Deadpool's <sighs> upcoming. I don't know. Is the Fantastic Four movie really a movie, or is it a cash grab to hold on to the the rights? <clears throat> Cash I mean, grab. I don't want to be uh, solid on my opinion. Excuse me. Cash grab. <laughs> Little subtle there. A little bit. Um, All right, just in case some people are wondering, um, me and Bo are not in the same room. He is far off in the whole normal other, weatherland, the San whole Diego. Other, yeah, the whole other side of the country. And I am in New York City, New York, where it's oddly been a cold cold summer this week it's cold and rainy it's like little seattle right now you're welcome <laughs> now there you go now ant-man is the one coming up the soonest the soonest is that a word the most soon whatever um which which role-playing comment Ant-Man's coming out soon. Uh, I don't know what to make of it. I, I'm going to feel the same way I did about it that I felt about Guardians of the Galaxy. Hopeful. It, I hope it's good. It needs to be good. The second Guardians of the Galaxy movie? No, the first one. Ant-Man is the same way I felt about the previous Guardians before it happened. I was hopeful. I wasn't sure. I don't know. We'll the Guardians see. rocked. It did rock, so that gives me hope for Ant-Man. You know what? Look. If Ant-Man is not the greatest Marvel movie, I'm fine. If it ends up being the equivalent of like a better Iron Man 2, I'm fine. As long as it's not a, a suck-ass movie. <laughs> All right? Right on. Yeah, uh, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with Ant-Man getting a lukewarm, okay movie. I mean, wasn't that the Thor movie? We're yeah. also going to get, as we mentioned, Dawn of Justice, uh, X, Civil War X-Men... Uh, Apocalypse, Suicide Squad, Gambit, Doctor Strange, Bloodshot. <sighs> really? Gambit, Channing Tatum? Seriously? Why not? I guess. Why um, not? <laughs> it's, it's a whole ton of movies coming out. He's have, Magic Michael. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about all of them. Um, it's too much to really cram on any one podcast. Uh, but suffice it to say... Uh, it's going to be interesting. It's a good time to be a geek, a huge, a great time to be a fan. Um, the only other thing that I was really curious about is uh, how everybody feels about comic characters needing a movie or a TV series. Who do we think has had or needs a movie or a series that hasn't got one? I All right. Really well, we were sitting bad. down to take notes about this before we started. Yeah. You know, and and I heard you mention that in passing. I gave me time to think about it. And I immediately added onto my addendum who I think right off the bat should have their own TV series. I got one for a TV series and one for a Netflix series. Okay. Netflix Daredevil is showing that it's really like going for the street level dark and gritty stuff, you know, where Batman should be. <laughs> you know, that doesn't belong in the big movie franchise that you're inviting the kids to. It go it belongs on the unrated Freaking Netflix, 
you know, secret sauce place where, you know, the adults go and watch their gritty street crime take place. And you never know what you're going to expect there as Daredevil roams the streets of violent Hell's Kitchen. Nothing personal. Hell's Kitchen is really not a dangerous place. Welcome to New York. Hell's Kitchen is more like Pete's Bistro right now. But in a Marvel Universe, it's hot as hell there. All right. But to go with that, I think, like, for a Netflix series, Ghost Rider. I completely agree with you on Ghost Rider getting a... you know, another outing and giving him a run as like the real Ghost Rider, what he is, who he is, the penance stare, the really messed up people he ends up going after. I mean, like really, like like he he brings some satanic stuff to the surface and like evil incarnate is involved in his stuff. And more to the point, along with the Ghost Rider thing, is I think there is a series that belongs on network TV. Another Marvel series that belongs on network TV, where Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be grim and gritty, but could be dramatic. Okay. And I think they really need to bring the cash to it, some of that mouse money. And I really think that Spider-Man belongs on the small screen with small visits to the big screen. Because some of the best runs of Spider-Man have been serialized through several issues going on throughout a year that you cannot truly capture in a movie because of the time constraints. The dramatic interactions that he has with the normal, out-of-the-know people in his life, the truth he faces, specifically Spider-Man, the 2001 to 2007 run by my man, J. Michael Straczynski. He was he was great. He was great at what he did. I, I, and, you know, like, it was the first time you saw, like, Spider-Man in, like, a real marriage where his wife had actual agency and opinion. His aunt wasn't a doting idiot. Yeah, there was that whole totem spider thing alongside of it, but we don't have to go completely into it. We could slowly tiptoe towards the direction of the 2001-7 to era and visit the other stuff that happened before it, like... Um, cause the network TV version of Craven's The Last Hunt can still work. You know, it still uh-huh. works just fine cause it wasn't, Craven's Last Hunt was pretty dark, but it wasn't, nothing in Spider-Man is seriously really dark except when they bring in Carnage. Now, I know there's a lot of fans of Carnage, Bo. I personally am not Venom, one of them. Venom, Venom and Carnage has a lot of fan base. Yeah, but I'm talking about Carnage in particular because I feel like he's a one-shot, um, uh, um, one-dimensional pony. You know, he's like, I like to kill things. And then what do you do with him after the fact? A guy running havoc like that in Manhattan in the comic book series should have been devoured by the Fantastic Four, eaten by the Avengers. Spider-Man was, uh, you know, he, he was he a Spider-Man enemy? He didn't belong, you know. And Venom is great as that force of nature that challenges Spider-Man, but as his villains go, he doesn't really bring it home. Like, a a lot of Spider-Man's villains are a little too close to home and on the nose, and while Venom's knowledge of him is close to home and on the nose, he is still a one-dimensional jerk that should not be sympathized with, in my opinion. Because, you know, the symbiote has more sympathy for me than Brock. I mean, Brock is... A jerk. He's an absolute baggadee. <laughs> He's a jerk. It's like his biggest problem with, with with Parker was that he was revealed that he lied about a freaking murder case, right? Yes. 
and that was his bigger. And come on, that's I can't seriously. I like every appearance of Venom, and I think it all ended with Venom when Venom thought he killed Spider-Man on that island, and Venom decided to stay there, and that's where it should have ended. Every comic book before that with Venom was a, was great. Every return of Venom after that kind of went horribly downhill rapidly. But we both know that would be very tough because TV series, if they're going to be successful, have to be able to keep a, a sustained, tight budget. And Spider-Man, you got to really work really hard to keep him under budget. I mean, they spent a lot of money just on his movies, Mike. But they could work it. I mean, like, seriously, first of all, people are very merciful for TV. People are very merciful TV. I love the Arrow, but there are a lot of, lot of like things so pause to take place on the show. Again, I'm huh? not saying it's not possible. Clearly, by watching the Flash, it's doable. Okay. Another guy who belongs in a TV show, and it could go Netflix or um, or uh, or network TV, but you know, is Hawkeye. Matt Fraction did an excellent run in the comics run of Hawkeye, and I believe that guy deserves his own thing. Same thing. Um, and and um, what you oh, call absolutely. it? Absolutely. I don't think they will. What's the name of the guy playing Hawkeye? Oh, uh, Jeremy Runner. Jeremy Jeremy Renner. He is not unfamiliar to TV. I remember when he first appeared on Angel as Angel's like like brood. He Angel made him. He was another vampire, and he was great there. And he he's good. I like him. He's a personable character, and I think he can really do it. No, and it would fit right in, and would and it would finally do something that isn't a bunch of like spies and agents in the Marvel run. As for DC, I think all of their amazing characters belong on the screen and should be just gods of the cinema screen. Just these guys are depressing. Oh my god, I I uh, like DC. I was born and raised a Marvel fan, but there were people in my family that were DC fans, and that has always crept into the back of my mind as a love for them. I love, I like Superman. I do. I like Superman a lot. I mean, and I'm not gonna go into my problems with Batman as a comic book character that I've too developed. Easy. That's over a whole. The, that's a whole other podcast that that I've developed over the years. But um, we, can, we can really dedicate an entire podcast just to Batman or to my rants on Batman or DC in general. It's it's too easy. Um, but those guys, I think, could benefit from a TV show. The guys that I said, not the DC guys, the yeah, DC yeah. guys belong on screen and the guys they have put on TV. They're doing fine so far, like Firestorm, um, the uh, Green the upcoming, Arrow, the upcoming Legends of Tomorrow. Legends um, of Tomorrow with Hawkgirl. They, they they got some good guys on the screen. And Flash, you know, gr- uh, um, Grant, Grant Gustin, what's his name? Is that his name? Yeah. He is a great Flash, and they should have just the, put they, him in the movie. Everybody's been saying that, but I'm not. See, it's easy to say that, but the reality is it may not be easy to do. And Whatever, I, man. Uh, again, Seriously. I'm not going to back if gonna, if, I'm saying if they're going to maintain a series, know that they people get pulled aside to do movies for big spans of time, which means they would have to stop doing the Flash TV series for a bit. So Yeah, between seasons. I mean, and because they've done this before. It's called filming between seasons and giving him less runtime in the episodes flash is not always in his comics there was an entire run in his comics where he was replaced by a flash from the future and these wacky things happen with flash be that as it may i agree i would rather have had him and, and stefan amell 
make the jump to the big screen because that seems to me to have been a logical conclusion. Stephen Amell is 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 Green oh my god. As showrunners look, was it I think what do they call it? A lead on a call sheet? Um you know he as a lead, I, I, I don't know, there's something you feel on his show where I can feel like they get along. Uh-huh. And I feel like leads of a show are like quarterbacks, right? And if the lead is a is a prick, you can feel it on the show. Like people just don't like them, you know. And there's like but a chemistry Steph- loss. But Stefan Amell that- seems like Stefan Amell is the likes. star quarterback, man, and yes. he's bringing it home. I'm not saying he's Mr. Softy Nice Guy. He's got to be hard on certain things because he's got to set an example. But he is the quarterback of that team, and I think I feel that extend even into the Flash. The Flash was a spinoff from his show. Now. I did why don't to, they put that guy on like why don't we put that guy at the front of DC stuff I've never even has he done interviews he's he's done a few interviews oh, um, I, he, I, I he's a really cool those. guy I'm gonna now, look those up I did want to address who I thought would be a fun uh, movie or series options uh, before we go too far down the uh, hole here and run out of time I think X-Men would make an amazing Netflix TV. Oh, wow. You're completely right, dude. I don't know why I didn't even think of that. <laughs> you're completely right. There is... What? Yeah. They're a serial. Yes, like completely. And There's, just starting from the beginning with the first five guys and just riding and just that as far as... just it out from there. Wow. It, that never occurred to me. It's got... <laughs> that it would could, be ret- and yeah, yeah, I'm like, why? why... I don't know... I guess everyone's stuck on the movie. They have such an expansive, huge cast and supporting cast and characters and tertiary characters and universe they would and history. Lost out the war. The spinoffs would be endless. The spinoffs would be endless. And they would be easy segues into the Marvel U. But without jumping into that too much, I did want to have that discussion with you where you and I could sort of uh, have a lot of uh, conjecture and ideas of if we were to do an X-Men uh, franchise TV series, how we would go about it. Let's save that for another time. That's man. a whole, yeah, it would be a whole other thing. Like in the far back end, Magneto and Apocalypse. And you know what? Let's do that guys. next week. Okay. Let's do that for next week because I, I pff, you just awoken the beast in me. Bam, mine. And soon I will rise and I will <laughs> tell you everything you need to know about the X-Men and their point by point stories. Mind blown. <laughs> Now yes. for now for movie, you can drop the mic and walk away now. <laughs> uh, yeah, at, this, at this point, I could drop the mic. I know. Um, for a movie, I would love to have actually seen DC grow a pair of balls and do Vixen. Oh, what? Vixen would have been phenomenal with now, the actual effects. Like she's getting yes, an animated yes, yes, cartoon yes, yes. With the series. Effects, everything. Here's the thing. Because she's getting an animated cartoon series that's in the Arrowverse. She's not even getting a TV show there, right? Yeah, correct. It's going to be animated. Wow. If they gave her her own movie, it would be phenomenal with movie production. And here, I'll explain why. I'm going to lose some cred here because you know what? I barely knew anything about Vixen until Justice League Unlimited. 
I knew really? she existed. I barely knew anything about her. And when I see her, when I see seeing her in the cartoon, call upon the power of a pachyderm and just run forward with the full force of a pachyderm as if she is a pachyderm, a gigantic elephant. <laughs> you know, it's wow. She's phenomenal. She's one of my favorite uh, sleeper DC uh, female characters, heroines. She's been uh, going around since the 80s. She's had some phenomenal stories. She is rife with possibility and potential. She's been all over the DC Universe. She's done street fighting crime. She's been part of the Suicide Squad. She's been in Infinite Crisis. She's been part of Justice League America. Final Crisis. The New 52. Her powers are amazing. She can fly like a hawk, swim like a fish, run like a cheetah. She has echolocation if she wants it. Like, you can do whatever you want with her. The strength of a rhino. Um, the nocturnal vision of a cat. Like, she can really... Whatever. There's really endless possibilities. And it can be as subtle or as overt as it needs to be. She I call upon amazing. the strength of ten tigers, tigers, tigers. Kind of. Um, she she has a very amazing look. She could be uh, DC's answer to Black Panther. Just easily. do not have her get played by a soft, doe-eyed female. She's... <laughs> I, I, aside from Wonder Woman, who I think is... I miss right, Angela Bassett. Yeah, I know. I so miss Angela Bassett. As, aside from, you know, Wonder Woman, who is the other big, iconic female character for DC, who everybody recognizes instantly, she would be my second go-to for her own. Wow, I, Bo, you were just like, that was the one-two right there. Okay, I think you took this one home, dude. I think we're about done. All right. <laughs> I think we're about done. Um, wow, let's give our shout outs out there. Yeah, once again, guys, a great thanks to the guys at Thunderstruck Studios and their amazing band under them, the Free Kitchen, for, for the intro. Free Kitchen. Free Kitchen is the biggest, <laughs> baddest, most awesome rock band <laughs> no, in I really the like universe. Them. I really like them. I just got a lot of their you albums recently. Awesome. They're really No, we good. really do like them. If you can catch them anywhere online or live, go check them out. Check them out on the YouTubes. Check them out in concert. Check them out on iTunes. Find them. Listen to them. Melt your ears. Heck, go on YouTube. Yes. Yeah. Yes. YouTube. Um, Freak of the week. And a big thanks awesome. goes out to my friend Adrian Corona. For his lend of uh, his music, thank you. You know who you are. We love you. And that's it, I guess. See ya! 